stand-up comic joke it up one time. Funny. is let's talk about sets the science the craft of stand-up comedy i am your host jeff mcbride i have no hair next to me is my co-host who is a fucking werewolf right now yeah i'm, I'm yeah almond brothers for life wait what i have a almond- mustache and i have long hair no, no almond brothers are like a that's a what is that? That's a band from when you were born, yes, the 1970s. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's not stand-up, that's why I don't know. Yeah, yeah. This week's theme is callbacks, <laughs> and our guest is Leclerc Andre. Leclerc, how you doing, man? Doing great. Happy to be here with the Almond Brothers. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that's a callback, guys. <laughs> uh, there we go. I'd already forgotten. <laughs> Let's get started with a clip, and this is picked by Leclerc. Ain't that better? It's from Patrice O'Neill's JFL in 2009. It's hard to be honest, man. Honesty's not the greatest thing to be. It's not, it's just no one wants to hear, yeah. Especially your woman, you know, she don't want to hear it. Because men, it's hard for us to love you and like you at the same time. It's just, it is what it is. Once a man loves you, he no longer likes you usually. So I'm going to give you some advice, ladies, on how to keep your man liking you once he loves you, if that's possible. This is what I think. (laughs) Men want to be alone, but we don't want to be by ourselves. Yeah. Does that make sense at all? Meaning, really? Look at this guy looking at his wife like, not you, sweetie, but sort of you, kinda. We want you uh, somewhere, like. In the dwelling, just not here, like just like around the corner in the vents. You can sit in the vent, I don't care if you want to watch me, but in the bay on the roof, anywhere, but just not in front of me trying to be my friend. What you doing? What you doing? Watching baseball? Why are you watching baseball by yourself? How come you didn't get me up? You snuck out of bed. Why'd you didn't get me up? I want to watch baseball with you. What you doing? Why you, why you, why you down here by yourself? Move over. Move your leg off that ottoman where it's comfortable so I can sit next to you and wrap my leg around your leg in some weird, I love you, uh, hot vine. Move over. Give me your arm. Give me your arm. Give it to me. Let me give it. Come here. Give me a kiss. Me. <laughs> you love me? Say it. Say it. Mean it. Mean it. What you doing? Why, 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 why? What you eating a hamburger? You shouldn't be eating a hamburger at 11. It's too early to eat a hamburger. Let me go make you a better sandwich. A, a turkey sandwich on 47 grain bread with <laughs> no mayonnaise and, no, and bean sprouts. Oh, that's great. Tastes like rat turds and, and twigs. Ain't that better? Ain't that better? A dry sandwich you don't want? Ain't that better? <laughs> Why is the TV so loud? Well, turn it down. 
dry sandwich, you know what? Ain't that matter? <laughs> why is it so cold in here? Turn the, <laughs> why is the ceiling fan and the air conditioner. Turn it off. Ain't that better? Sweating, wrapped up into a hot vine, can't hear the TV, got a dry sandwich. Ain't that better? Why is it so dark in here? Let some sunlight in. <laughs> Ain't that better? Can't see the TV, can't hear it. Hey, I gotta go, man. Y'all take care, man. Thank you very much. Ain't that better. Why did you pick this bit in particular? Um, I remember watching this for the first time, and uh, what you can't see is that they keep doing cut, cutbacks of the audience and keep showing, highlighting audience members responding to his material. And you'll just see couples, right, dying, losing their yeah. shit, uh. watching him perform this bit. Um, and I remember seeing a, a gradual build, right? When he first started talking about liking a person and loving them at the same time, if that's possible, yeah. there was a laughter that the audience kind of gave him that was... That was a bit hesitant, but very honest in that, like, yeah, is that a thing? Can I like you and love you? And <laughs> he's really speaking to married people, right? He's speaking to people who've been married for a long time, uh, who got married because they like each other, but stayed married because they love each other, right? Mm-hmm. So he gets into this bit, and you could, you realize that a lot of the audience is hesitant to get on board with what he's talking and about. You can really relate to this, because you've been married now for... A few days. Yeah. <laughs> a, yeah. A full two days. Yeah. So, yeah. A couple days. Yeah. Yeah. So that, this is like, this hits home. Yeah. Right? I'm like a marriage <laughs> expert at this point. <laughs> at this point, like, you're just like, wow, he gets it. Yeah. Uh, he's fine. talking my language. And uh, Jeff got, he finished his first one. So he's, he wants another. He's <laughs> like, I want as many marriages as I can get. <laughs> Steve Harvey it. So, <laughs> so he gets into this bit and it's like, when at first you could tell, like, you can even hear it. Uh, on that tape that the audience is laughing with them. He's he's doing well, but towards the end of that bit, when he just keeps saying, ain't that better? Ain't that better? People are just rolling mm-hmm. over. They're just dying laughing. Um, and it just shows you how powerful like that type of repetition is. Okay, when... so let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Let's start with what is a callback? What happens is a comic will tell a joke, right? And the most memorable part of that joke a comic will recall that later on in their set, right? So if you have a joke, let's say about pie, and the punchline of that joke was, it was pecan pie, and everybody remembers that. And then later on, they might have a joke that they get into about being on a date, and the girl orders a pecan pie. People are just going to laugh at the simple yes. fact that we're talking about pecan pie, I again. remember that. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's what a callback is essentially. It's just referring to a topic or an idea that has been presented earlier on in a set. To get a little nerdy about it, in literature there are allusions, right? That's distinct from illusions, like Harrison's illusion of his comedy career. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> there you go. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and my delusion <laughs> that I, that was funny. That was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. an, an illusion, meaning you, you allude, you refer to something else literarily. Well, this is internal. This is an illusion within the work. Yeah. Within a joke or a set or an entire special, maybe. Right. And some comedians even make callbacks to previous specials. Right. Yeah, Berbiglia. Berbiglia recently did that. On, yeah. I think was that his last special. He's done it almost. Th- th- he says in I think three or four different specials. He's like, "What I should have said is," yeah. and then he yeah. says something logical, and then he's like, 
What, what I should have said is nothing, and then he right. says what he did. Right. right. Or, for example, if Jim Gaffigan were to even mention Hot Pocket. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That would be a callback. Or Pat right. Oswalt KFC Bowls. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's a lot of them. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of them. So, But within the context of a joke or a set, it's just something that hopefully, right, they've forgotten. Right. It's a thing that you're bringing back up in hopes that they have forgotten about it, right? So when you bring up an idea that uh, was part of another bit, they're already under the assumption that that joke is over. Mm -hmm. You won't be hearing anything more about Hot Pockets for the rest of the set. So when you bring it back up, it's, it's, it's refreshing for them, and it's also it also puts them on alert like, oh, this could be going anywhere. We could be talking about old stuff. We could talk about new stuff. It can be a whole journey. So, And in this case with, with Patrice... I would say this sounds more like a catchphrase. It is. It's 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 more of the voice of the bit, right? So the mm. more he he he's also recalling everything that she was doing that was annoying, right? Mm-hmm. So once he introduced the forty-seven grain sandwich, he talks about that again, right? Mm-hmm. And then he talks about turning the AC off. He starts listing all the things that he said before that men just don't want, right? And he builds a complete picture with it towards the end of it. Right, and and ain't that better becomes, and that sound great coming out of my mouth. <laughs> uh, you have you know, to say it more. Yeah, you just got to keep saying it. Yep, yep, yep. Ain't that better? There it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a squeak to it. You yeah. need to put the squeak on it. So, uh, yeah, Patrice had a distinctive squeak. Yeah. He really did. Yeah. You could also tell that that's a real person that he's imitating. Right? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like a conventional because uh, he was like he he and like Bill Burr, who actually uh, came up together, are like the preeminent like misogyny as comedy in a great way that women enjoy actually right. as well. He doesn't do like a typical. I've heard of like this is like kind of like the woman voice that right. like a lot of hacky comics like talk like. But he's just like this is clearly my girlfriend right now or that I just broke up with. Right. But there's like a, and that's specific. And that doesn't feel contrived. So that so I think that's actually getting the women on board. And also, he's not painting the woman as a bad person at all. He's actually saying she's trying to she's, show him love. she wants him to be healthy. She wants him to um, uh, feel loved by her. It's like a nice. She's clearly the better person of the two. So women can laugh at the fact that like, God damn, you are an asshole to me, and I'm trying to love you. So it can they even though. They're butting heads, the couples in the audience, or they have in the past or whatever, or could see themselves in the future. It is um, both parties are represented as the enemy, but also inverted so that they're both uh, both people represented that are in the audience can laugh at that other person. It, does that make sense? It does. I think there's like a brilliance to it. What's what's particularly special about Patrice's ability to represent people is that he can get you to laugh at ideas or laugh at people that you normally wouldn't laugh at. So this is an idea in relationships, right? If you're talking about couples as a man and you're talking about a woman, it's hard to get women to laugh at themselves. Patrice was able to do that because he spoke so much truth to his comedy, right? So the first time we talked about 
his girl coming around and wrapping his leg up and being annoying, only men were really laughing at that part. Yeah. But a lot of women would smile at it, like, oh, yeah, I kind of do that. Yeah, yeah. And then when he talked about turning the AC off, like, oh, I definitely do that. Turning the TV off, oh, I definitely do that. Why didn't you get me out of bed? I want to watch football. It's 47 like every, grain yeah, bread. Yeah, the more he compounds these ideas that are familiar to everyone, it makes it hard to just reject the funny, right? It's yeah. like, oh God, damn it, he's right. He, yeah, I do do that. Uh-huh. So then you have all the women and men laughing at this idea after hearing this joke for a minute or so. It's almost like if you can rhetorically get someone to agree, say okay a bunch of times. Actually, in sales, definitely in sales, if you can get someone to agree and agree and agree and agree and agree, when you finally get to the point where you go, so do you want this? Right. If they're much more likely to say yes because they're in practice of saying yeah. Right. And yeah. Sort of, he's getting them to say, oh yeah, I guess I, I recognize that. Right. I recognize that is something that maybe I haven't verbalized yet, uh, but I know it to be true. Right. For, for my life. So, what is the difference? between a catchphrase and a callback or or if it's a type of callback how would you make a distinction here a catchphrase is something that you can birth in a joke and end in a joke right that catchphrase is done right or it's a catchphrase that you can keep using over and over and over again Mm -hmm. whatever a callback is something that is usually only done once and it's referring specifically to one joke, right? Uh-huh. So if I do a joke about catfish and I bring up catfish again, you know I'm talking about that original catfish joke. But if your catchphrase is, uh, th- you know you're a redneck when, then there's no original you know you're a redneck joke, right? It's just something that's in the ether. It's a thing that exists that that a person says. So I think that's like the most distinguishable thing when I think of like the difference between a callback and a catchphrase. A a catchphrase you can say in every special for the rest of your life, and people are going to know you as that Uh, guy with the catchphrase, right? Catchphrase becomes identified with the persona of the comedian. Whereas a callback is only identified by the joke that it's originating from. Ah. I was talking to Drew Morgan, our first guest, actually, and he or second guest, and he he's on the tour and he's on the Well Read tour, and it's three dudes. One of them is Trey Crown, one of them is Corey Forrester, and I notice in all their Instagrams, they go at the end of their post, it'll be like skew, like S K E W exclamation point. That's clearly a catchphrase. A catchphrase because that's it's in everything they do. They like their fans love it. It's it's a reoccurring bit. It's but it's not a fucking bit. It's just a noise that country folk make, yeah. and their audience is accustomed to seeing them make on stage. Right. So, all right, how does this relate to a running gag? Then that's a good question. I think that's going to be harder to differentiate, right? Because some running gags can be mis- easily mistaken as a callback, right? Are running gags something that occur in stand-up? Or is that specifically for the screen? I was just thinking that when you said, is that the difference between a running gag? And I was like, before we started talking about it in the context of this podcast, I'd never heard a comedian use the phrase running gag in regards to a stand-up set. I don't think I have either. To piggyback off of that, when we talk about stand-up terminology, running running gag is something that comics use to talk about techniques that stand-ups use right mm-hmm. if we're watching stand-up uh we're like oh that's a great running gag that's something you'll never hear comics no, say never. right no, never whereas when you hear somebody say oh that's a great callback you know we're talking about com- stand-up comedy specifically mm-hmm. yes. that's yeah. that's terminology you only hear so in stand-up comedy i wonder then a running gag 
and a call back. No, they're still different. They are different. They're still different. They are different. Correct. Um, how? Um, <laughs> well, a, a running gag, I guess. So when you see a running gag, in between on, a catchphrase and a callback, because it's yeah, because they're usually tied to a character, yeah. right? Yeah, running gags like when you look when you're looking at when you're watching Seinfeld, uh, there'll be a running gag throughout an episode, and it'll usually be tied to one specific character. Yes, like I, uh, there was a, a sketch show called The Fast Show. It's a British sketch show, and they were basically known for this. That was their their primary mechanism. They would splice in a piece of the sketch that they've set up and they'd come back and they'd just have that same guy and he'd say that same phrase and yeah. it was a running it wasn't exactly a catchphrase because the show didn't become associated with it but you'd hear them say the same thing again and again and again and have a similar situation occur. But it was definitely character-based. I love what you just said, but I have even two specific sketches that have the running gag and the catchphrase. Okay, so in SNL, they had the Californian sketch. I don't know if any... I'm sure the listeners know what it was. It was a bunch of people, like, talk like that. Like, it's like... You drive on Rodeo Drive. It was that sketch. It was just a bunch of people. They're making fun of the accents, blah, 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 blah. There was always a thing that happened like five times at every uh, at every one of these sketches because it was a reoccurring sketch where all the characters would look into a mirror and it would be play this like kind of like soap opera music. That happened five times or more every time they played the sketch. That... I would say is running gag. Uh-huh. Uh, a callback is in Stefan, the Bill Hader ske- character that would come on Weekend Update. So he would come on, and maybe he'd be like, "Those boots from, uh, or you know, like puss in boots or something like that." At the beginning, in the description of a club, you'd be like, and then every time, or like every once in a while, throughout the rest of that character's piece, he would say. Puss in boots, like or like he would it's just character based. He would, yeah. Right. So yeah. there we go. And uh, another real quick example that I think is more people might know is Sideshow Bob from The Simpsons would step on a rake. And do you remember that? Like he, that was his. Yeah, that was his gag. His gag over yeah. and over and over again, and it it just like that became his that character's gag, and that's maybe why we don't have that in stand up is because. It's not that many stand-ups have recurring characters. It also just now it wouldn't work on stage. I think that when you see Weird. running you gags, yeah, it's we- like what Gallagher did. It's the smashing like melons and shit. It's like, and we hated that. Everyone universally was like, that is bad comedy. It's just harder to make it work live without people feeling like it's cheap, right? Yeah, yeah. If, easy. Yeah, so uh, that's why there's there's like an unspoken rule when it comes to most callbacks. You usually only do a callback twice max maybe three times because but you can make them hate it yeah it could be something that if a person didn't like it the first time they're gonna hate it the second third and fourth time yeah. so you have to be very careful with that you also have to be smart in how you employ callbacks whereas with running gags on television on these sketch shows they usually are able it usually works because a they have half an hour right you have the entire episode to really wear it out and b it's usually done so well on television that it's not as tiresome follow-up question what are smart ways that people employ callbacks one of the things that i do before using a callback is pair it with one of my strongest jokes so if i have a joke that's working really really well and audience are identifying with it like i love that joke that you do then that's a 
quick indicator to me that this is something that might be refillable. This is something that I might be able to use and coin in oh, my stand-up set. So when people comment on a joke, yeah, um, that's an indication that this is memorable enough and funny enough that if I call back to it, they'll thank me for it. Absolutely. Because what's going to end up happening anyway, especially if some of this stuff is already on television, they're going to say, hey, you have to watch this guy. He has this one joke and it's great, right? So if they're willing to watch that joke over and over again online at uh, home, then a live audience would love to hear it twice in, to some degree, right? I already think, like from hearing you say that, yeah. I'm thinking about a couple bits that I have. They're the ones that people come and talk to me they about. They love it. The set. And if I maybe some of them are a little later in the set, if I move them up in my in my act, yeah. then I could build in callbacks in other spots. Absolutely. And if you're a stand up comic, if you have a joke that's so good that you can sell merch off of it, you can <laughs> easily make a callback and that would also sell the merch even more, right? Yeah. You're right. So people have to understand like so much of the stand up thing is marketing, right? And people are gonna fall in love with your bits whether you like it or not. If you have I a bit, I hate that they love my bits. <laughs> I don't like it. Yeah, but but people, I think comics need to be more Ooh. understanding of the impression that jokes are leaving with people. Usually, when a comic gets off stage, an audience member is remembering one thing specifically about their set. If you can, if you can identify what that is, whatever that joke is that is really staying with people, and make that the voice or the narrative of your set. It'll really help people remember you as a performer as well. What do you well. mean when you say that? Make that the voice of the narrative of your set. Well, when anytime, like when I was doing my first late night appearance, um, I had a joke that was about late night appearances are used about five minutes. I had a joke that was about two and a half minutes. And I was instructed by the producers and the executives to like, if you can make as much of your set about this, this joke, this idea, um, we would really appreciate that because we think this is the voice of your set. And usually late night sets, for if, depending on the type of performer, they don't want your set to be all over the place unless you're a, a bit comic, unless you're a comic who's going up and you're just doing one liner over and over and over again. If that's, if that's your style, then they'll welcome that. But if it's not, they want you to try to keep the voice or the uh, narrative. When you say voice or narrative, I usually hear voice used to describe the overall sensibility of a comic. Right. But in this case, it sounds like you're employing that word differently. I think your listeners also know when comics talk about like developing a voice, they, you're, you're really talking about uh, your style of comedy, like how your humor lands on people, right? But for me, when I'm talking about my voice, I'm talking about um, when it comes to like a late night set, I'm talking more specifically about the tone of your mm-hmm. set. Mm-hmm. So if, you're, if, you're, if your opening joke is about ice cream, you can't finish with the with the fisting joke, right? You want to keep the tone <laughs> and the energy weird, of yeah. your unless set. You're, unless you're using the ice cream to like make an ice cream enema. And then it's <laughs> like, uh, well, I haven't done that before. But <laughs> <laughs> it's apparently, oh God, but so gross. That also be a tough callback to work in. Like, yeah, yeah. So I was getting fisted and I was eating this ice cream, but. Uh, and then I was like, wait a minute, these yeah. two things could be one. <laughs> I was, because um, I have a very strong opener that I've been using for a long time now. And I was, and I've realized in the last like year and a half, the reason why I like it and why it's my favorite way to open is because it like sets the table just for the rest of my act. It's like, oh, it's weird enough. It's a little gross, but it's also ex- like absurd enough that they're not going to take it seriously. Yeah. And it also showcases like my sense of humor in a way that like, 
if you thought that was funny and you can like detach from reality in that joke, you'll be fine for the rest of my set. Right. Yeah, and as that's long as, as, <laughs> I want to make sure I, you detach from reality from my, if you're still thinking about things in the real world, yeah. you're not going to But there this. are certain <laughs> comics that I feel like they might, sometimes you'll fuck up a little bit because, and it will take a comic a little while to get going because they didn't set the table properly for themselves. Mm. Right. This joke, like I was thinking there's one time it, I've used it as a callback, but in terms of like uh, what you're talking about, um, the tone, the tone is called back that entire show. Right. The punchline of that first joke is about as ridiculous and silly as the rest of the punchlines throughout the set. Have you ever seen a comic get on stage and you know this comic, right? They'll get on stage and they'll just try to open with a riff. And this and that comic isn't a riff comic. They're oh, not a the off the top of the dome type of comic. They're a very structured comic. And they open with a riff. The riff eats dick, right? And then they try to organically segue into one of their written bits, and then their written bits eat dick. It's because they haven't set the tone for the audience. Audiences pick up on cadences, right? They pick up on timing. They pick up on rhythms. So when you open your mouth for the first time, they're adjusting to your speed. They're trying to figure you out. If you don't give them the right food, if you don't give them what you're planning on giving them the entire time, oftentimes it's hard for them to adjust. So you open with a bad riff. They're like, all right, well, this is his style. Let me adjust to this. And then you give them a structured, solid joke. And that struggles too is because they're having trouble catching up to whatever yeah. it is that they you're trying also, to feed them. It's like, well, now I can't really figure this person out. Right. I'm confused by the different ideas and feelings that are coming from this person. Right. And it'll take three solid, three, four solid jokes before the, the audience is like, oh, no, this guy's really, really funny. I get it now. I'm, I'm figuring it out. Well, Casey James Salengo, actually, I believe he was the one that said he likes to start talking and like being loud before he even reaches the mic because that oh, yeah, sets yeah. the tone. And I was like, That's Oh, I'm going to do that for the rest of my, I will never be quiet until I hit a mic again. I will always be. Cause like, Oh, this guy's confident and ready to be commanding. Yeah. Like he, he, he owns the stage already before he even got to the stage. That's a, it's a power move and, and power moves is what you need to do. And I think what you're talking about is these guys that they're trying to riff because they know that that is when done well, a power move. Yeah. It's like when a, a, a girl likes to be like, like have like rough sex and a guy doesn't know how to make that happen. <laughs> and then he tries and then it's like, Oh God. Like I've heard a million stories from girls be like, it just was so like a contrived spanking is nothing is nothing is more offensive <laughs> or terrible to a woman than a contrived spanking. So yeah. Like, so like a comic that doesn't riff that that's not his tone. Yeah. Whatever, trying to is, is like, is like, uh, um, someone who doesn't do rough sex ever try to open with spanking. Yeah. 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 Cause well, you can tell they want to say, is that okay? <laughs> Nothing's worth than a spank. And then a, uh, I'm going to fuck your mouth. <laughs> a spank. And a temperature tech is like, so, pop. Is, is it, was that too hard? It's like, if you don't get the fuck out of here, yeah. Timothy. <laughs> Technically, how do callbacks function? I like to describe callbacks to people who aren't in stand-up comedy as, um, as like an inside joke with strangers, right? So anytime you meet up with your old friend and you guys have a shared experience or or a fun memory that you guys have, all you have to do is mention that thing and you're already both laughing. It's like, oh yeah, that was such a funny thing that happened. That was such a great experience. I think as stand-ups, when we get on stage, 
we want to build that type of rapport with an audience. And there's no better way of doing that than getting that type of rapport with an audience and saying, hey, remember that joke I did earlier? Oh, we have. We've been having such a good time, haven't we? Aren't we all best friends? And I think that's uh, what I found most attractive about using callbacks is that uh, some comics will get on stage and they'll have trouble connecting with an audience. And I think that when you create an environment where you're, you feel like you're palling around with them and you're making references to old jokes and old experiences that you've had, even if it's been a 10 minute set, I think that you'll come away from the stage feeling like you made a bunch of friends. And the audience will also feel like, I know this guy. Yeah, we've already shared jokes. That one joke he did is great because he said it twice. And I remember it because he said it twice. Mm. And I think that's the power of callbacks. It's the idea of like making an inside joke with an audience. There is a bizarre relationship with callbacks between surprise and familiarity. Yeah, like it's weird. You're it, you <laughs> uh, when you surprise someone with something they're unfamiliar with, there's more processing to do. Right, and it, there may be fear or confusion or something present to deal with the new idea. But when you surprise someone with something that they already are comfortable with or familiar with, if it's something they already knew subconsciously, they they laugh. Yeah, like it's that laugh of recognition. Absolutely. Yeah, and it, it makes them feel like. They also they feel like a winner. They feel like a winner. <laughs> I, it's as easy as that. It's like I got it. Yeah. It's like bingo, but it also <laughs> comedy bingo. Like callbacks are comedy bingo. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but it also makes them feel like I get this guy. Uh, yes, I really get this guy. I I get. We this guy. won bingo. Yeah, we all won bingo. Yeah, I, I love I love the energy that I get when a callback lands. Mm. It's like, the audience is really. That's when you really bring the house together. You know how David Letterman would have those monologues where you'd keep you'd keep repeating a joke that like barely worked or didn't work, but he kept doing it so confidently, and also not like confidently in like a performancy way. It, it, it was just it was very like uh, Upper State New York. I was in Upper State so, New York. So Obama is doing oh. this right? <laughs> <now>? <laughs> no, that was a pretty <laughs> good. Letter. Yeah, that was yeah, it was a good Letterman. That I, was. A, I, I think if you would have adjusted the impression I, without saying Letterman first, I would have said Obama. But hearing I, you say. You know, you know, I was I was in Upper State New York, and uh, me, uh, me and uh, me and Tom, we we went uh, to Upper State New York, and uh, me and and the whole time people are like, "Am I supposed to laugh at Upper State?" It, it's upstate, it's up. But then he would keep repeating, it. and when you're in Upper State New York, and during the fall, the autumn, it's changing. Upper State New York, gotta go. Yeah. Like, and he just keeps saying it to the point where you're like, you're like, that wasn't funny. Was that a mistake? Wait, it's not. It's not funny. Okay, he's he just won't stop, and it is funny, and he's not acknowledging it, and he's not. It's not a punchline. It's just something he keeps repeating, and to the at the end of it, it would be hilarious. Yeah, because he just had done it the whole time. But there's nothing worse than the inversion of that is when someone is like punching with something that bombed the whole time. Yeah, I was going to bring this up. That, oh, it's that, the worst. That, that, like, you got to be careful with callbacks because you might have one built. <laughs> and if the first joke didn't work, you, you better not just automatically say the callback to it. Yes. Then you're reminding them about a joke <laughs> that bombed earlier. Remember how I failed a little bit ago? Oh, God. And we all felt bad together. So, <laughs> so I'm back. That is a tricky situation. But what I found is that if a joke doesn't do well and then you do a callback of the joke, sometimes the callback will be 10 times funnier. Because it's calling back to a joke that didn't work that well. Mm -hmm. So it makes the comic seem like a savant a bit. It's like, I have 
had that happen. Yeah, sometimes the callback, the setup can can really fall flat, right? Uh-huh. The first time you introduce a joke, it could fall completely flat. Then you do the callback anyway, and people will love it. It's crazy so how that works. I've started, I've only just started, uh, it's only been three months now that I have 30 to 45 minute sets on a yeah. regular basis. And now, I, before that, I didn't even really think about, I was just trying to get through my, you know, the 10 minutes and pack as much in there as possible. Or yeah. Whatever. Um, but now I have the time to play around. And the callbacks have been just coming up. Yeah. They just mm-hmm. come out. I yeah. go, wait, I talked about a dog for fucking five minutes back there. Here I mentioned a dog. I'm going to use that dog's name here. Yeah. And the previous dog that I was talking about. Now I'm going to use it up here. And people will, like, boom, laughter. Yeah. Uh, or, or oh, I mentioned a fish. <laughs> I'll say a type of fish up here. Like it's, it's, and also like a tiny little, just a little twist on it. Yeah. If you if you say exactly the same thing, it's not. My theory is it's not as powerful as if you recontextualize that old joke in the new joke. Like it, it has to have if it fits in some new way. So now it means something different. Absolutely, and it's also sometimes the idea is so great. The original idea is so great. Just in introducing a new environment for that idea will yes. make it. We get it. You have all these great ideas. Yeah, it's like oh. <laughs> also, I th- you get you think you get leeway because it's. I've very rarely seen callbacks where it's like, and here's you know the point I made funny the first time. I'm making that point again. I feel like that is a little like it could be oh. like all right. You're kind of it's a little douchier, but if it's dumb. Both times they love it, or oh, if it's like a little bit smart in the beginning because it's attached to something like, like, uh, and it makes sense within that context, it's right. just like a silly punchline. Oh, but then at the end, you kind of like force it in in a dumb way, yeah. they'll really like it because they're like, Oh, we're having so much fun! This is such a silly punchline to this that right. he didn't even really need to do. He or she really didn't have to do this. Now it's just funny, you know, why it's I, playground. I love what you just said. The, the, I, uh, here's, here's why I think that works. Because if you say, look how dumb I am, that's fun. That's yeah. so funny. Oh, yeah. Right? But if you like, look how right I am, ugh, kill yourself. Yeah, that doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed that uh, the biggest danger I've had, I've run into while using callbacks are oftentimes, if you don't go into your set prepared, you can say the callback before the original joke. Oh, no. <laughs> Which Wait, is, what? yeah, it's like... That's so an in-your-head I've thing. like so I So when I'm, like, writing sets and, like, structuring them, sometimes I'll write out my set, and I'm like, all right, I'll do this joke here, and then after these couple jokes, I'll do the callback to that joke here. And sometimes I'll forget the original placement of the first joke, and I'll just never get to it, and then I'm... Walking into the joke that I'm about to do the callback for, and I'm like, oh no, oh no, oh no. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't put down the groundwork for this joke. This and it's joke not that's ready. To me too. And yeah. it's too delicate, like you have to do the callback. It's not it's it's not that it's delicate. It just doesn't make sense. Yes. Oh, oh. It, your, people are like, why is he talking about catfish? It's like the structure of the joke is fundamentally dependent on the original joke. This is one of my favorite devices to do. And I think it's a kind of callback in a, in a way. Yeah. So I have this thing where I'm talking about an emotional support animal. And then I have what looks like a complete non sequitur. And I start talking about a lady I met at Burning Man named Rat Lady. Okay. <laughs> okay. Then I talk about the Rat Lady. 
But then at the very end, I tie it, and I they now know what the why the fuck I was talking about this crazy weird anecdote because it drives the point I was making home all the way in. It's like the final hit of the hammer on the nail that, boom, now it's finished. Right. And is that a callback? Do you know what I'm talking about? You know what it I mean? is. It's, it's a callback in that um, I the made two, them forget about what we we're talking about. Yeah, the two jokes don't exist without each other, right? Ah, okay. So, so you're calling back, even if it's conceptually, you're calling back these ideas that don't work independently. If you just told that one story mm-hmm. and then didn't tell that other story, people are like, well, why the hell did he tell that first story, yeah. right? It's dependent on that second story. Both stories are dependent on each other. So. Uh, you're even though you're not calling back specific words or even persons in those stories, mm-hmm. the fact that they're tied together, I think, makes, makes them callback. yeah makes, makes them a callback. So, and, and so that brings me to the next idea, which is that you can make them forget. Yes, oftentimes the more time in between the jokes, the I more intentional that. you are about making them forget the the more potent the callback will be, yeah, the so more effective like a, it is. It's like a fucking trebuchet. Yeah. Like, yeah. You're like, you're like winding it up and they've got the, the counterweights and everything's just like, it's all potential energy. Right. And then whoosh, <laughs> launch it. But it has to be worth it. It, it, there's, oh, it yeah. has to be really worth it. Like, there's nothing worse than you like... You can't put a pee in a trebuchet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta put a cow or something. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to call back your worst joke. <laughs> <laughs> Chappelle in two different Netflix specials does a bit at probably within the first 15 minutes that comes back in the final punchline of two of his specials. And the reason why those are great is because those callbacks are um, demonstrating a point, um, but tagging it with something silly at the very beginning there. Cause everyone knows Dave Chappelle. He has, he is, he's an incredibly insightful comedian and he has these kind of like Carlin esque, uh, uh, ideas, but he calls back a joke that was so stupid at the at the very beginning of the specials, and we couldn't play them on air because they're too long. But I, I suggest the listeners go back and watch uh, Age of Spin and uh, um, Equanimity because those two specials they do what we're talking about uh, really brilliantly at a really large scale, where you'd completely forgotten about those silly, stupid jokes, and the t- point he's making at the end is so intense that. Tagging it with those super silly jokes is really uh well that's the other thing that callbacks do they provide a feeling of things coming full circle right oftentimes you'll notice when you watch late night sets uh it's very common to see uh stand up comics finish their sets with a callback right mm-hmm. and the reason they're doing that is because a when you watch a late night set those are v- a five minute set is a very unnatural amount of performance time right if you're there's very few things that we're like oh the beginning and end happens all within five minutes it's just so short so most audiences don't know when it's over so it's important to have indicators during those sets and the best type of indicator that i found is a bow at the end is a (laughs) Uh. i'm in a bow bow. it's a rose toss you just pull a rose out of your blazer and just throw it into the audience But oftentimes, audiences respond the most, respond very, very well to a well-placed callback. It's like, oh, that's the joke from earlier. And then you just, they'll just clap automatically. You'll know that the set is over. Like, it's a button. It's a button. It's It's a really cute button. It's a comedy term, which is... 
where it's usually the the biggest joke or it could even be it doesn't even necessarily have to relate mm -hmm. always but it's it's the last thing the sort of like bah explosion of the of like a sketch or something yeah. like that yeah absolutely and it has to be done well because you're talking about we just mentioned earlier that the more time in between callbacks the more the more potent it is the more effective it is uh but when you're talking about a five minute set you're not given a lot of there's not a lot of time to build suspense to build to allow yeah. them to forget anything. Mm -hmm. So the joke has to be that much better. It has to be that much more well structured, uh, and you have to do a better job as a performer to not lead. You don't want to lead the audience like, oh, I think I know what he's about to say. There's nothing worse than the audience finishing your joke. So oh, yeah. it's it's yeah. really important yeah. to make sure that you're performing it in a way that uh, they can't see what's coming. <laughs> you know this topic yeah, yeah. I, I mean it's um i learned earlier on that it was one of my stronger suits because khalid another stand-up comic really talented that i used to live with and write with uh he would always like he was always encouraging like oh man that callback was really really strong that callback was really good and then i started getting encouragement from other comics i one comic came up to me he's like hey man i really normally don't like callbacks but you do them really well mm -hmm. like i i, I don't That's see them coming race. Yeah, you do them really well. I enjoy your callbacks. And I'm like, all right, well. Why do you think you're naturally gravitating toward those? Well, I think it's because in large Lazy part. Writing, you just don't want to have to write new stuff. Well, it's I actually joke, very tied into my writing style. I'm very visual when I'm preparing. So um, whereas some comics, they'll just kind of write out their material. Mm -hmm. I like to see all of my jokes at once. And it helps me pair them well. So I'm like, oh, these ideas are very How similar. How specifically do you do that? I'll write out, so if I'm doing an hour for, per se, I'll try to structure my jokes so that if I'm talking about anything in the past tense, I'll make it like uh, childhood, school, church, family. I'll try to pair all those ideas together and make those part of a larger story, right? Mm -hmm. And then within that, I'll try to look at the peaks in those stories, like the really, really strong points in those stories. And all of those that are like the highlights of that story, the highlights of my childhood are all things that I can call back to. So if something happens in the second part of my set, which is let's say dating or uh, working, being in the workforce, something that's not related to my childhood or my past, that also ties into um, one of the peak ideas of my childhood set, then that's a perfect formula for a callback. So if I talk about not being able to swim when I was 12, and then talk about going on a date when I'm 31 uh, with a girl. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I just learned how to swim. That's a great callback. That's like, oh, yeah, these are ideas that work in tandem. Why not draw, mm. ma Why not make that relationship? And it, make it makes it like an autobiography. It's like, yeah. Oh, we remember when he did learn to swim. <laughs> and, and you what? How do you you said you were very visual about yeah. it. How specifically do you visually map it out? I will. So I will write out all of my jokes not verbatim like not a transcript i'll write out all the topics like the the jokes that i plan on doing mm -hmm. um and then i look for similarities right i'm, I'm sorry I'm, wow i'm getting a i want to get even further down in i want to get even more granular okay so uh is are you trying to fit all of this on one page one page so that and is it like it's not just a list i'm guessing you probably have it like maybe spread out a little bit or so uh, so it's, it's, it's in a book so i have my writing book on, on the left side when i open the book on the left side of the page i'll write out all of my jokes so as many jokes as i could fit on that page i'll have it on that left page 
And then once I have all of those jokes on that left page, I bring them over one by one to the right side of the page, mm-hmm. but only in relation to each other. So like, oh, these jokes are similar, so I'll bring these two over. Or these four jokes are similar, I'll bring these two over. Like forge a family tree right. almost. And the way I will usually structure it on the right side of the page is the first thing I'll pick is the jokes that I want to start with or joke, singular joke I want to start with and the joke that I want to end with. And that'll give me a, a like a kind of a storyline or a timeline. So once I have the joke that I want to open with, all the jokes that are related to that joke come over with that joke in, in whatever sequence I think makes the most sense. Uh, and then I try to marry as many ideas as possible in the middle. So this is, this is when you're constructing a longer set. Correct? This is when I'm constructing a longer set. Also... Sometimes I'll do this thing where I'll write a joke and I'm like, oh, this joke is really funny. This might work well with this other joke. And I'll write the other joke next to it, like like a caveat, like, oh, homelessness, tag McDonald's. Yeah. So I'll have I'll pair jokes when I'm writing them on the page just so that I can see what's going to work well with another joke. Do you bring that on stage? I will if I have enough time to prepare, I don't bring it on stage. Mm-hmm. I'll study as much of it as I can. I'll internalize it and I'll perform without it. But if there's not enough time for me to really get a grip of it, then I'll bring it on stage with me. I just heard like all of our listeners just rewind. Yeah, Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. is that's fucking, uh, that's amazing. I'm doing, yeah. I'm writing this down for myself right now. That's it's fucking, great, man. That's brilliant. Having, having those two blank pages in front of you, getting your jokes in front of you on that left page is really, really helpful for me. And then m- moving them over intentionally. You have to be really deliberate about where you place jokes. It it also helps the audience. It makes it easier for the audience to lose track of time. The more yeah. cohesive your set is, the the less in between that they're able to notice, the faster that time flies. So there's nothing better than for me to get on stage for an hour and people... And then when I say my last joke or when I say, all right, I'm going to leave on this, people are like, oh, yeah. there's nothing better yeah. than that. So you want the audience to always leave them wanting more. Yeah, always. absolutely. And just to pile on to what Harrison said about all of that that you just shared, I definitely am going to cut this. This stays here. <laughs> when you do a callback and it brings you full circle, like maybe at the end of a set. Yeah. One thing I've noticed, and I read this too when I was researching it, it's absolutely the best if there's an ironic twist Yeah. at the end. Right. Callbacks only work if they're still creatively new. Yeah, you're referring another an idea that has been introduced before, but there still has to be originality to it. And John Cleese from Monty Python, One of his theories of comedy is that when you bring two seemingly disparate elements together and at the same time you do that, you generate new meaning. Right. Then you get you you will incite laughter. Right. It has to be original. It has to be um, something they haven't seen before because you can't tell the same joke twice and think that it's going to work the same way the second time. That's insane. Unless you're John Mulaney and you can just <laughs> say the same word four or five times after you said it the first time. And the same premises. Think, well, yeah. Middle yeah. school is weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every special. But he is the exception. <laughs> he is the exception. And I I mean, if he, if he makes it look easy, I dare you to do what he does. Yeah. Also, there's just like, uh, yeah, there's just... Uh, rule breakers all over and they're called geniuses <laughs> and i didn't mean all we, over there we do however love repetition so that sort of flies that's a paradox it flies in the face 
of what we're talking about. Right. We're like, it has to be new and different, yet we love repetition for some reason, too. Yeah, it's in everything that we see, especially artistically, like in music, the choruses, everything that we hear in music is very repetitive. Uh, Stand-up comedy is not so different. Uh, When you see a comic perform and you see them go through their material, you'll notice similarities in their structure. You'll notice similarities in their style of comedy. You'll notice that they employ voices, that they employ act-outs, that they employ certain um, tags into their jokes. So when you listen to different comics, there's things that you learn to expect from them. That's what makes the comedy journey so entertaining. I think what's cool is like you want to keep that uh, that uh, repetition in terms of um, what style maybe they might bring to the table, but never where their joke is going. Does that make sense? Like always have that kind of like elusiveness of uh, like the best compliment you could I've ever gotten as a comedian is someone being like, I never know what the punchline is going to be like. I never see where you're going with that. Uh, but but I would say I start a lot of jokes very similar to each other. I hear myself. I'm like, I'm doing an impress. I'm ripping myself. Yeah. Like. But you simply being aware of that can also be a very helpful tool. For Absolutely. You because the moment that you get away from that structure, you're really sending the audience for a loop. So if it's intentional, if you're deliberate about it, then they won't have any idea when you decide to use misdirection. And that also works in your favor as well. So anytime you introduce a system, introduce some type of pattern to an audience, the moment you break from that, you really have them in the palm of your hand. I really think a a fun thing to do is to state what the joke is or is not. Yeah. And then, uh, destroy that idea immediately after with the punchline. Right. That's anytime you tell you something. Yeah. And then just like, oh, well, I mean, but, you know, it's it's silly. <laughs> yeah, I love it when when comics play with the fourth wall, when they just have a, they just completely break yeah. a joke. Oh, like, yeah. hey, I know what you guys are thinking. Or, hey, I know this sounds like it's going to be racist, but just follow me. Yeah. When I have a joke I really, really love. Yeah. And it's one that I, it was hard to to get to the point where they're laughing at it. One of my favorite things to do is then I'm laughing after I, I I'm laughing with them. And then I'll be like. You realize how fun that is for me that you are laughing at yeah. that right now. Do you have any idea how pleased I am? And they like it. I yeah. mean, it's, it fits me to do that. And the fourth wall is completely gone. Yeah. Audiences are great because they're also malleable enough to go along with it when it becomes a conversation and then completely submit to the idea that this conversation is over yeah. as soon as you get into the next premise. As long yeah. as you're confident enough about yeah. it. Yeah. And they're not too drunk. Yeah. Audiences are much smarter than we give them credit for. I think that... Uh, Human beings, I think, are... Yeah, well, not all human beings are audiences. But laughter is instinctual, I think. I used to think that, too, until I met people who say stuff like, I just don't like comedy. It's like, well, fuck you. Oh, like, who are, are, yeah. <laughs> there are people out there who just genuinely don't enjoy the communal act of watching humor. I'm yeah. not saying it's because their brain is functioning that well. I'm saying they can't t- turn their brain off enough to absorb the comedy, though. Yeah, that's what I would say. It's like it's like I can't enjoy comedy. It's like because you are like thinking about something else. You're not just like letting like you're not just like allowing this to be a pleasant experience. You're like you're overthinking what's happening in the room. The audience is giving you something. They're saying, I will let you control my mind to an extent that I never allow. Mm -hmm. I don't do this for the most part. I don't just sit here and think what you tell me to think when you tell me to think it. But I'm going to do it for you now. You fucking better make me laugh at the end of it. Yeah. Right. But some people, they won't take that first step. There has to be a trust. 
And uh, one thing I like to tell people when they when we talk about comedy is that people think that when a comic bombs, it's so bad for them. But what people don't realize is that this is a very symbiotic relationship yeah. between a performer and an audience. We don't bomb by ourselves. Oh, when, we bomb when together. When we bomb, you guys are embarrassed too. You realize that? Ever yeah. watch a comic bomb and feel embarrassed for them? We're all bombing yeah. together. This it. sucks for everyone. Yeah. I love this idea of of identifying what is your relationship with the audience right now? Is it symbiotic or is it parasitic? Are you both bettering the other by being together, or is one one side getting a lot more than the other one, and the other one suffering? It's com- I believe it's completely symbiotic, without a question. No, when it's working, I'm I, saying if it's if even it's- when it's not working, because oh. we've all been on stages where the performer is giving a thousand, right, giving as much as he can to the audience, and the audience is is for whatever reason incapable of reciprocating that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that might feel like a parasitic relationship, right? But ultimately, that performer is growing from that, right? Oh, absolutely. And whether or not, what, whether or not the audience can show their appreciation, um, then the next comic is going to be better for it, right? The comic who follows that watching performance that, is yeah, important. It's 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 always a it's always a very very helpful relationship because audiences can also learn and get better. And performers, of course, it's our job to learn and get better. So even when the even when the shows don't go well, I'm still appreciative of those audiences. Yeah, they're not giving oh, me what I sure. need. Yeah, so it's 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 just it's really perspective. Yeah, it's, you're choosing to look at it like that. Absolutely. The last thing I wanted to ask you about callbacks is how did you start adding them in? Uh, accidentally. I think those are oftentimes the best callbacks when uh, something happens organically on stage. And you know, when you know those moments when you're on stage in between jokes and you're kind of fishing, figuring out what the next bit is. uh, And then you kind of stumble into something you were talking about previously. That's kind of the first time that I realized, oh, that that works there. And then you watch a tape and it's like, oh, that really works there. And, and then you give that callback that was accidental. You give it a little bit of structure. And before you know it, you're adding a two minutes to a four minute bit. Right. So that's the first time that I found myself employing it. But the first time I recognized it was just watching stand up, seeing uh, comics give voice to audience members like oh this is michael from the, this is michael from from westminster and then every time he referred to michael from westminster he referred to him being a virgin so every time he made a joke about uh having sex like yeah michael wouldn't know about this because he's uh, a I virgin from yeah. westminster right mm-hmm. so i realized like oh this is a great way to like pull not not necessarily polarize an audience but galvanize them like get them that happened a lot in aziz ansari's most recent special he kept coming back to a child in the front row yeah. and a guy named dan in the front row people identify with characters yes so once you introduce a character to them they're not going to forget it that's one of the things that is really important about storytelling is that if you can give voice give names to certain people whether it's in your story or in the audience yes the more you refer to them, the more they're like, oh, I love the story. Aziz, Aziz is a perfect, so my cousin cool. Harris, yeah. my so, cousin yeah. Harris. For his first like three specials, he talked about his cousin Harris and people would reference it to him. Let's talk about that, the crowd work and callbacks a little bit. 
Yeah. That's a big that's a that's huge. Yeah. So comics oftentimes, especially hosts, like that's a good sign of a that's a sign of a really good host. You'll see most experienced hosts do that. Uh when they're warming up the crowd, they're like, Hey, what's your name? Where you're from? And then he kind of builds these stories story for these individuals, yeah. right? And then he'll talk to a couple, like, Oh, how long you guys been married? Fifty years. You know they're not fucking anymore. And then they become the couple that's not having sex anymore because they're too old to have sex, right? So then you'll have all these stories built into your audience so anytime they have a bit or something comes up organically in the show that has to do with any of those topics or stories that they've already you know established in the audience there you have a rich yeah plenty of solder for like good callback material come on let's talk about sex let's talk a little bit about what's your name uh, <laughs> uh, let's look, uh, look, Clark Anders. So, <laughs> so awful. Uh, let's talk. We a need bit to establish characters, and Leclerc is one of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about Leclerc. Thanks for doing the show, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, buddy. So, you've been on New Faces and Just for Laughs. Or, sorry, you you were New Face at Just for Laughs. What the fuck is that? All right. You said it twice correctly. I, I, and then, but then, just for laugh, new faces. Right. I, I should have just done it. Should have just played it straight. Okay, okay, okay. All right. So the clerk, you were, uh, and you. Were... <laughs> 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 you can't do it now. I can't do it now. <laughs> you want to do it? New you York. Do it. All right. You were on New Faces, the clerk. You yes. were at New uh, New Faces. Um, you were at New Faces. You're, you're not doing it right I think either. that, yeah, it's the show is called New Faces. You were one of the new faces. You performed on New Faces with uh, another guest, uh, Usama Siddiqui. Yeah. As well, as well. Um, and also you were on uh, Late Night. Uh, uh, you were on Tonight Show. Okay, no, this is hard. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Go look. Yeah, you were Read your fucking rubric. Right. God damn it. All right. Leclerc Robot. Andre. Yeah. <laughs> Alexa, start Jeff's engine correctly. God damn. Oh, yeah, there is Alexa in here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Leclerc Andre is having a. <laughs> You're actually reading the bio. Please don't say I'm having a breakout. Yeah, I was, was going to be pretentious. Oh God. <laughs> Tell us about your breakout year, Leclerc. <laughs> well, I was in jail, and uh, then I broke out of that. <laughs> uh, all right. So you were just for laughs, yeah, and that was this year, right? That was last year. Featured as a new face last year in Just for Laughs Comedy Festival, yeah, yes. yes. Uh, you also made your network television debut in the Tonight Show, right? I did. It, it, you said something earlier. You said when I had my first late night set. Yeah. Second. Well, I'm preparing to. I'm preparing in the second late night set, and I did. Um, I was on NBC's new show, Bring the Funny, which my episode airs July 30th. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna. That's gonna be the second time I'm gonna be on television. Oh, congrats, stand-up. man! Yeah, that's wonderful. Cool. Let's see here. You grew up in Maryland, right? I grew up in Maryland, born in Brooklyn, moved back to Brooklyn in 2012. How did you get into stand-up? I was an English major in college, and um, I wanted to do journalism, and all the papers were collapsing. When oh, you're right. Yeah, I yeah. Guess. <laughs> it was like the worst time to try to get a writing job. Twitter was a thing. Right. And there were, well, the, the bigger the internet got, the smaller the writing jobs became because more, less people were writing for more outlets. 
right? So they were just sharing the same articles. So it's hard to get a writing job. So I found myself just doing a bunch of freelance writing and spinning my wheels. I couldn't find work as a writer. Uh, and then I kind of stumbled into stand-up because every time I hit a writing block with whatever else I was writing, I was just trying to write humor, write comedy. And I never had a writing block with with comedy. I just That's found cool. everything funny. I thought every there was a spin, there was an angle to everything with when it came to humor and um, I just you understood the cosmic joke inherently. Yeah, I just found it's that space to be so abundant. There was so much content when it came to humor, right? So I found myself gravitating towards humor. I'm not trying to force any narrative, but yeah. you're, you're Haitian. Your mother's Haitian. She, she is. When did yeah. she move to the States? She was like 17, 16 when she moved here. Do you think there's, I, I would say, because we have a, we have other, uh, friends in comedy like Rufat, a guy, if he, he's a, he's a former refugee from, uh, uh, Azerbaijan. But I think there's something to, if you're looking at it from the perspective or have seen the perspective, like very directly of someone that like you move to America, right? Your mother moves to America. Right. She's got this idea of what humanity is like in Haiti or what, like uh, what it's life is like in, uh, in Haiti. Then she comes to, uh, the United States. She's like, Oh, it's so weird how they do things over here. Right. So you're seeing her see America and disagreeing with the way people interact or agreeing with the way people interact. So you're already kind of getting this like, um, in-depth knowledge of like the absurdity of life. Cause you're seeing someone, uh, you either uh, see it through a different lens or you're watching someone look at it through a, through a different lens your entire life. I think there might be something to that. I do. Th I've always found, I've always found standup comedy. The best comedy for me is the most unique perspectives, right? So when I'm watching standup comedy, uh, you can have seven people make jokes about marriage, but the best joke for me is going to be the joke that has the most unique perspective, the most original point of view. So with my mother being uh, from Haiti and moving to America and also being raised in America, I realized there was just such stark differences culturally in how she behaved and how she interpreted behavior than what everyone, literally everyone else was responding to it in a completely different way. Absolutely. So one thing that I've learned to identify as something that I dislike in comedy are when foreigners come to America and like, Americans do this. And isn't that weird that you Americans do this? I've always found those points of views to be so... Um, French. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, they're also so like unentertaining to Americans. It's like, yeah, this is what we do. Yeah. We're in America. Yeah, he tried to show me a French stand-up special. Not like in... He was like, look at how ridiculously bad this is. And right. then it was insufferable. It's hard to watch. For me, it's hard to watch when people make those type of observations on American culture because they're so new to American culture that yeah. they don't realize how unoriginal and a also, lot of those takes yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing is that we've had stand-up now um, in its form that it is since the 40s and 50s. So we've had decades of this of immigrants making these observations to right. us so they don't understand they don't have the background to understand that like this is very hack in the zeitgeist absolutely so that's something that i realized very early on when i started writing humor writing comedy but uh it's hard to not fall into that trap when you have a parent who is haitian american and you want to highlight the contrast 
the cultural contrast because there is something original to that. There is something unique to that. But you have to make sure you don't fall within the same tropes that every other person who's making criticisms of American culture make. You lived for a long time with a former guest, uh, also a very successful comedian, Khalid Rahman. Yeah. Did you guys think you learned a lot from each other, like just through osmosis? Would you say, because he's a really smart dude with a great with great ideas. He was the one that was like, Leclerc, callbacks. Leclerc callbacks. And yeah. of course, he was right. I have no problem telling people that uh, Khalid, my relationship with Khalid has been one of the biggest cornerstones for like my turn into becoming more successful as a comic. He was one of the first people that uh, I was able to confide with creatively. You're, and you're here because I'm here because in large part I'm. No, you're, you're here today because of him. Because, I'm being so serious though. Like no, I, really, I know I, I am too. I asked him. I was like, who would you recommend? And he said your name and started rubbing his crotch. And I was like, I, <laughs> no, I've never. Every time I've ever asked Khalid for like a, uh, a an idea for like a booking or anything, yeah. he's always Leclerc, Leclerc, yeah. Leclerc. Yeah, and it's not just like he's my roommate. Get Leclerc. No, he no, needs no, no. it. It's he's a, yeah, he's a, beast. a person that a lot of comics talk about writing with each other and talk about collaborating. But one thing that a lot of comics miss is that it's not an, it's not enough to just be two comics working together. You have to believe in that person creatively. You have to believe yes. in that person artistically. Yes. You have to not only do you feel confident to entrust them with your jokes, but you have to have faith that whatever they contribute is going to be something that you're going to use, something that you think is funny as well. So a lot of comics make the mistake of working with people just based on proximity. It's like, oh, you're a comic, I'm a comic, let's collab. It's like, no, you want to work with people that you believe are funny and they believe that you're funny too. Um, and How lucky are you that Khalid broke that rule? <laughs> He's, I call him the Black Gandhi. Black Gandhi. <laughs> For years, I've called him Gandhi. He's just doing doing the Lord's work. Uh, did you ever have like a tip or a, or something that you heard from a contemporary or somebody further along from you, or even a podcast that really w made things click for you in terms of stand up, where you were just like, "Oh," and that's something that rings in your head now and then. Uh, so many. Um, Roy Wood Jr., who I'm working with this weekend in St. Louis, awesome. is a person who has been like a really. By the way, it's not unique to me. He will help out anyone. He's the most generous person you'll meet. That's what I've heard. Um, yeah, he's just a really kind person. If you ask him for Texted advice, he'll give it to you. my friend Whitney like four paragraphs of ideas for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> like he's the like night that. he met her. He's great. And if he hears yeah. you say something funny and original on stage, he'll let you know, that's great. Keep working on it. Um, but he also... He's seen me perform before, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> what, what he'll do is he'll tell... like One of the things that he told me after I did The Tonight Show was that... Um, I was starting to work the college circuit. He was like, hey, every city you go to, every town that you go to that you're doing a college, you're already getting paid. Hit up the local comedy club and say, hey, I'm working on a set for late night. Ooh. And they will always give you a spot. Once they give you a spot, kill it. Now you have a relationship with that club. So anytime you're back in town or if you want to go Can there, the headline or feature... Lie? It can, it's it's supposed to be a lot. Yeah, oh no, that's yeah, what I'm nobody's saying. Nobody's always yeah, working yeah. on a late night set, right? Yeah, yeah. So whenever you're already, well, you could always be working on a late night. set. You should always be working <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. on a late night set. Yeah. So he was like, now you go to that club, tell him you're working on a late night set, kill it, 
kill this spot, whatever, with this five minutes, whatever. Say, hey, if I'm ever in town, whatever. Now they know you. They know you to be funny. And they'll give you work when you come back. So you do that first spot for free. That's one of the, like, the best pieces of, of advice because college circuit is fun. You make good money. But it's not something you want to do forever. Yeah. Hopefully, God. you want to start working clubs That's and theaters. That's such a good tip. It's yeah. a great so tip. We would love to have you, Roy Wood Jr., if you're listening. Yeah. God damn. But that's a great yeah, piece of advice. Know. I'm a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. That's we were joking. Like, obviously. Hey, let Roy Wood Jr. know that this is a, a possibility for his career. <laughs> we were kidding. And then Roy Wood Jr. came and recorded an episode with us. Just this weekend. Why? Why the? Why would it, a guy of his stature want to come on our teensy weensy rinkety dinkety podcast to talk to a couple of no name dumb nuts? And we've had some amazing guests. Uh, so many times I've looked at Harrison and been like, "Really?" They said, "Yes." All right, let's get to work. But to explain why I'm this surprised, here's a question that I didn't get to ask Roy. It was, how do you write for yourself when you have so much else to do? Family, The Daily Show, Comedy Central's This Is Not Happening, Late Night Appearances, Specials, When Did You Last Sleep? Are you okay? I didn't get to ask him that. He's that busy. And then he came to talk to us? My best guess is it's because of who that guy is. It's him living by his principles. I heard him say on Burt Kreischer's podcast, I try to be what I wish I'd had. That's awesome. I wish more of us did this. I certainly try to, to be kind and helpful to the people who are lower on this fucked up, crazy hierarchy pecking order that is the stand-up world. And we wanted our podcast episode to be distinct from all the other podcast appearances that Roy has had so we listened to i think the vast majority of them and we listened to his albums and then we got to talk to him and the chances of him ever listening to this are slim to none so i feel safe in saying this if you want an example of how to hustle in this business look at Roy Wood jr if you want an example of how to treat the people who are a few steps behind you on this journey of stand-up or any other journey where your heart is at stake, look at Roy Wood Jr. If you want an example of how to be funny and still say what you want to say, look at Roy Wood Jr. He's a great example, and I feel privileged to have had a chance to talk to him. Did I mention he's funny? That guy's fucking funny. Anyway, um, share the podcast. <laughs> That'd be great. Please share it. Take a minute. Stop right now. Share, share the podcast. Go share it with somebody who you think would benefit from it. They like it. They 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 want to hear it or they just enjoy comedy or whatever. Just fucking take a minute. Just go do that. That's my pledge drive. Or like us on Facebook. We're almost at a thousand whole likes. We're so close. We're in like the upper 900s. Just push us over, please. All right. Come on. Let's talk about sex. Oh, can I also mention one other piece of advice? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We can, you can do these for a while. Yeah. <laughs> we so, love these. so I got a piece of advice from Gary Goldman. And 
this was when I was maybe one year into stand up. I was opening I was opening for him in Maryland. And um, I asked him for advice and he said, write every day. This is before his Twitter was a thing. Yeah, yeah. He was like, <laughs> write <laughs> every too. day. And I was like, yeah, but, but how long? He was like three hours. And when he said three hours, I thought he was, I didn't take him serious. I was like, three, who's writes for three hours every day? Um, and for years, I thought he was saying that to kind of like say, like, fuck off, like three hours. Like, he, I thought he was saying your comedy is so bad. That you, LeClerc, you're <laughs> such a hack that you should spend four or five, three, four hours every day writing oh, because you're material. That's, that's how I perceive that. <laughs> I thought he was being very, very. That's the, the insecurity of just starting is so big. Yeah. You would flip his wonderful advice to you. Yeah. His encouragement. <laughs> he was like right for three hours every day. And I thought he, I thought he was really trying to say like, like piss off. So what is your writing process now then? Well, now I'm starting to write closer to three hours a day. But what I'm realizing is that three hours of day, three writing three hours a day when you're one year into comedy sounds so daunting, right? Yeah. Because you don't know what you're doing. You're really figuring a lot of things out. But the longer you write stand up and the longer you understand, the more you understand the craft, you realize that three hours of writing can really turn over and materialize in what looks to be like maybe five minutes of strong material. That's how important it is to spend that much time in your book. Like I actually, I just came across it. I was like, God, I'm not sitting down and writing enough. And yeah. then what I realized what I was doing was I was tweeting and putting on Facebook everything that should have just been in a notebook and, and, it, and stuff that would be like, um, like multi tagging or yeah. something a bit was becoming like one tweet. I made, and they'll be like, Oh, I just thought of a better tweet. And then I yeah. delete the first tweet. I have send this so much. I've been like, why is he not just putting this in his notebook? I know. And it's like a terrible way to do it. Cause it, and then it's I was like, why does it, why does it bomb on social media, but murder in real life? And I'm like, Oh, because it's my voice yeah. attached to it. Yeah. And I just am not a Twitter guy, and some people are. What is your writing process specifically? How do you do? You have does it? Is it ever changing, or do you have a system, or what is it? Writing techniques that work specifically for me yes. are so writing at home. It can be challenging for a lot of people because home is a place full of distractions normally, right? So I thought I found that it's important to watch tape as a way of getting your juices flowing, right? You watch tape. You see what you're doing. You're also putting yourself in a stand-up performance. You're watching your own. You're, I'm watching my own stand-up. Mm -hmm. I'm watching tape. After I watch tape, I watch... Well, while I'm watching tape, I'm taking notes. I'm making adjustments. I'm writing tags. Oh, wow. And then once I'm done writing, once I'm done watching my set, I get in front of a mirror and I start going through material that's... You rehearse. Yeah. That's already on my paper, like ideas, premises, bits. And I actually go through it like a live rehearsal. I'm talking. I'm speaking out loud. Are you timing yourself? I'm not timing myself. But Are you holding I'm, anything? Uh, my book. You're holding your book. Or and speaking into it? I'm holding my book just as a way, like as a visual reference. You plug your book in? <laughs> no. We actually need a book for our show because we only have one book. And then, we, yeah, yeah, we have to do banter. But I'm, if I'm being honest with you guys, I used to actually rehearse with a remote in my hand as a microphone 
Like I would get, I would really try to get into. That's character. a good idea. Yeah, I, I, I do that. Toothbrush. I do that with a shitty mic. That yeah, I, it's, it's little. It's connected to a, it. Ha, it is connected to uh, an amp. No, <laughs> it's connected to a book. But the reason I perform in front of a mirror is because a lot of stand-up comics are very dependent on their writing. Right? They they forget about showmanship. They forget about act outs. They forget about the actual performance that goes into it. So seeing yourself tell a joke with no performance, no salesmanship, no energy is very, very hard to do. So performing in front of a mirror is a constant reminder like, oh, you're not doing anything with your face. Uh Oh, you're not doing anything with your voice. Oh, you're not doing anything with your body. This is a terrible thing that you're doing on stage. This is why I record video now every time. It's important. Uh It's really important to see yourself. So that's why I always write in front of a mirror, I'll stand, I'll, I'll go from like writing at a table, I'll stand up, get in front of the mirror, go over material, work on stuff. And I'm always speaking audibly. I'm always talking out loud. You notice that your brain works differently when it's being activated by like noise that you can interpret, noise that makes sense to you. So there's a difference between listening to um, like just music that has no lyrics and music that has it's full of lyrics. When you listen to music with lyrics, your mind is identifying those words and making connections with it. So it's activating your, you can't listen to it passively, mm-hmm. right? Anytime you hear lyrics, you're listening to those lyrics. You can't listen to it passively. So it's important when I'm going through my material to be audible, to hear myself because it, it allows me to create a dialogue. You're activating the part of your brain that is verbal right also activating the part of your brain that's auditory right so you're double reinforcing it when you say it out loud as opposed to just in your head right absolutely and it also allows you to create a conversation right if you're when you're going through your material and you're saying things um just hearing yourself say it can say oh well what comes after that right Mm -hmm. i can say this after that i can i can talk about this after that um so yeah it's just that's something that works for me Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Anything else about your writing process, like after that point? I try to get it on stage as soon as possible. So, like, if I write for three hours today, it's important for me to perform as much of what I've written today as well. Um, Say it over and over and over to make sure you remember it, or do you just have a good memory that just it just stays? No, I mean, I try to say as much as I can if I have a long set that night. But if not, I don't mind doing Cliff Notes versions of it on stage and, okay. and trying to shorten it that way. When you're writing it out, how into the weeds do you get? Like, like Brian Regan actually writes like visual, blah, 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 blah. Like, uh, vo- like yeah, different, use this voice. I don't do that. Every joke that I have is the core of it is in one line. Everything else is, everything else can change. Everything else is, there's variance for everything else. But uh-huh. The thesis of all my jokes are very, very specific, and oh. I do not, I do not defer from that. So you have one core thesis line, yeah, and you don't change that. I line. do not change that, but everything else is fluid. Everything else I can adjust the tags I can play with. I'll, I'll play with everything else, but whatever the joke is, the conception of the joke, whatever is is the idea of the joke, I usually don't play around with that. Cool. Come on, let's talk about sex. All right. Let's listen to a bit. This is by Leclerc Andre, and it's his stand-up debut on The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon in 2018. I'm very happy to announce that I just graduated from swimming school. Yeah. 
got tired of drowning. I was sick of it. Uh, <laughs> said, enough's enough. My boys are like, aren't you embarrassed to be a grown man in a swimming class? I'm like, no. <laughs> What's embarrassing is being rescued by a 12-year-old named Hannah. <laughs> so that line, I'd never change. What's embarrassing is being rescued by a 12-year-old named Hannah. Like, I've played around with leading into that joke many times. I've played around with the rest of it. The names but- that you played around with? If it's Sarah or Hannah or Gretchen yeah, or something, yeah, yeah. Every, all those all those things are interchangeable. I can I can really fuck with whatever else. What's embarrassing is being rescued by a twelve year old named Hannah, is what really keeps makes that joke consistent. And I've I've noticed that if I try to get away from it, that joke will suffer a lot. So that's something that I've learned. That joke is what taught me about making sure the idea, whatever that wow. is, stays consistent. Cool. Pick it back up. Being rescued by a 12-year-old named Hannah. (laughs) Never again. (laughs) What made it worse is she was talking to me the whole time. Very casual. (laughs) She was like, uh, I got you, big guy. (laughs) My name's Hannah. I'm going to take you to safety, okay? (laughs) Oh, what's that? Oh, no, I'm not a lifeguard. I was just making a sandcastle. <laughs> and I saw you over here panicking, so <laughs> figured I'd help a brother out, okay? <laughs> You're okay. So are your parents here? You have a chaperone? I can leave you with? No? Okay, well, if you need a ride, I can ask my mom. <laughs> Get you to safety. Then I got to the beach. I was very happy to be on land, and I stood up, and she was like, uh, why didn't you just walk? <laughs> Your hair is dry. You didn't even... <laughs> Great race joke. <laughs> I follow her on Instagram now. Uh, I like all of her posts. I'm like, you a hero, girl? <laughs> She's like, leave me alone, sir. I'm like, right. <laughs> yeah. I am very tall. Guys are like, oh, man, you must get all the ladies. Fellas, if you think all it takes to get girls is to be tall and handsome, you're absolutely right. Okay? <laughs> I threw in that handsome part. It's true. <laughs> I'm about six foot six. Yeah, which is about six inches taller than the top of public bathroom stalls. (laughs) Every day I'm just locking eyes with men in their darkest hour. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like Wilson, the neighbor in Home Improvement. You remember this guy? (laughs) Close your window, Tim. I'm a comedian now. This is a great job. My first job was at a fast food restaurant. It was terrible. The worst restaurant ever. I was 14 years old, and my mom made me quit because my grades were slipping. So I typed up a two-weeks notice, and I turned it in. And my boss was like, hey, man, you could just leave. (laughs) You got a computer at home? What are you, an undercover boss? Get the heck out of here, kid. 
go be somebody. Yeah. Doing new things. I uh, signed up for a spin class. Yeah. I thought it'd be a nice place to meet women. I was wrong. <laughs> Turns out if you're the only dude in the spin class, you just look like a creep. <laughs> yeah. So the next day, I brought my homie with me. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't even work out. He just sat on my handlebars. But... <laughs> <laughs> I did meet a girl in the spin class. She was way out of my league. She opened up with, yeah, so I just graduated from Harvard Law. And during my free time, I had to volunteer at a dog shelter. Tell me about yourself. I was like, well, I just graduated from swimming school. Yeah, there we go. And I'm learning how to doggy paddle. 98% match. Took her to the movies. I love superhero movies. Took her to see the Avengers. She was like, who's your favorite hero? Is it Captain America, huh? Black Panther? I was like, no, girl. <laughs> it's Hannah. Okay. <laughs> you guys are great. My name's Lothar Klonberg, guys. That's great. Both of those callbacks, super strong. Yeah, yeah, they hit yeah. really hard. Yeah, yeah. They loved you. Yeah, man. After the first applause break, it's like, all right, I'm cool. But I remember being behind that curtain and just forgetting my second joke and just like, oh, this is going to be the worst day of my life. I'll they, never be back. I think there was a moment when you said gave her her two weeks. Yeah. And they didn't laugh because I think I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. And like, and you, there, there was like a little, like, do you know what I'm talking about? I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> so you, I, I'm sure you guys picked oh, up on this. Oh, you watched this before? Absolutely. <laughs> So I'm sure you guys have noticed this, like, but when you, you'll see comics do late night for the first time, their timing is always weird because audiences are just inclined to give them applause breaks. So j jokes that are just like normal, whatever, throwaway jokes on shows will get an applause break in these theaters for these late night sets. So you'll say a joke and it's like, all right, I'm just going to go into the next part of that joke. But it could get an applause break. So you kind of stumble into the next part of that joke. So that's what that is. Yeah. Like I'll, I, when I did that part about uh, I wrote a two weeks notice, that's absurd, first of all. Yes. <laughs> yes. But most audiences recognize that without laughing. And sometimes they'll recognize that with laughter. Uh -huh. I didn't know which one I was going to be on The Tonight Show. So I kind of gave it a little pause and yeah. I was like, push through it, push yeah, through it, yeah, push yeah, through yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And the second part, of course, worked. I wanted to talk about the two primary callbacks in this. Yeah. Do you remember the writing process for those? Absolutely. Okay, tell me. So uh, I remember submitting my first transcript for The Tonight Show and getting it back and it was all in red ink. They, they rejected everything. What? <laughs> oh, yeah. They were like, hey, this joke is good. Everything else is trash. Oh, so, my God. Um, the joke that they approved that they really, really liked was the Hannah swimming bit. But all the other material was thrown away because, A, I was making references to companies that may endorse the show. Oh. <laughs> uh, or, B, the content might be a little bit too edgy for the Tonight Show. There were a bunch of reasons why they were Xing out a bunch of stuff. So to make things simple, uh, Michael, who's the booker, just said, hey, man, whatever jokes that you can tie into this Hannah swimming bit are 
definitely going to be able to make it on air because of the content, right? And it's also tied into such a strong joke. So from that, I was able to write in those two callbacks that did not exist when I when they said I can do the Tonight oh, Show. No way. Those callbacks did not exist. I wrote those for the show. Oh. Yeah. I wrote to those to jokes completely. With their requests. Yeah, just to they just gave to you a stretch. writing assignment. Basically, <laughs> you're like, "Do you want this TV credit?" I was like, "Yes, we'll write new jokes for it." <laughs> and I just wrote those callbacks for that set, and it worked out. So the graduated from swimming school didn't exist. You're a pressure player. And the, and the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, the like the whole graduating from the whole Hannah swimming bit. I I wrote that bit, and then going to the movies and the callback with. Uh, Black Panther and Captain America. Who's your favorite hero? Hannah. That was something yes. I wrote just for the Tonight Show, and um, yeah, all those callbacks that I wrote were were just for the show. Cool. Come on, let's talk about sex. The next bit is by Moshe Kasher, and it's called Twenty Years Old. It's from the Laugh Factory, 2013. How old are you guys? <laughs> You guys are 20? Oh, you haven't done anything. <laughs> or experienced life in any way. That's crazy. Are you guys in high school? No, you're 20. That'd be... Are you retarded? Are you all retarded people? Oh, this is bad. Have you not you been able retarded. to get out of high school? Are you stupid? Okay, great. I'm kidding. What, uh, what, no, but what mall do you guys work at? <laughs> also mean. Also rude. Are you in college? Where at? And what do you, what is that? Is that a Catholic school? Christian. Christian? Um, so what would you like to do with your degree when you get out of Christian school? school. Oh, you want to be a doctor? Yeah. What kind? Hematologist. Hematologist? Fuck, I don't know what that is either. <laughs> what about you? You don't know? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Even at Christian college, there's always one, right? <laughs> I don't fucking care. <laughs> Here to drink the sacrament wine and party. <laughs> Where are you from? Uh, Florida originally. Oh, what are you? Are you celebrating something tonight? Uh, no, I just talking to my little brother. He just got married. To Who's the little brother? You? Uh, are you from Florida? Yeah, from Florida. You're still there? No, I go to school in Michigan. So you moved from Florida to Michigan? Yeah, but Okay, I was gonna say that's a, a terrible weather decision you made. <laughs> uh, what, you play football? I play football. What position? <laughs> Fuck! Why is everybody laughing? <laughs> uh, not now. In college, I was the starting. Becker. What are you? I don't even know what that means. I don't actually know what position. I catch football. Yeah, alright, cool. <laughs> oh, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I catch football. How many dumb people has he had to talk to about that? I catch footballs, dummy. Okay. It's clear enough. You look very shy. Let me talk to you for a while. No, I'm kidding. What's, uh, what's your name? Diane. Diane, what do you do? What are you studying? Really? You know that I was a sign language interpreter for many years. Oh, you don't believe me? No, you should. Boom, in your face! No, my parents are actually both deaf. Yeah, they're super into hip-hop. Yeah. Oh, is this your handsome boyfriend? You're handsome. I'm not trying to fuck you. But you're a good-looking dude. I think I can say that without it being weird, right? Look at him. Yeah. Girls, he's good-looking. They're Christian. They're not trying to fuck you either. <laughs> They're just going to observe the miracle that God hath made. Are you a model? 
You were? For real? Because if I was, I'd be like, no. Nah. You know what I mean? I'd be like, I would never say. You were a model for real? Like, what kind of stuff did you model? I mean, but like, what? Like Abercrombie? You were? You were an Abercrombie model? Yeah. Oh, and I'm being weird for saying he looks good. That's fucking pornography. God, so many dudes have jerked off to you. That's crazy. You were an Abercrombie model? I mean, it's not bad. It's just like that. Because to me, an Abercrombie model is the, the, the ultimate... Like, that's what, in terms of, like, white, that's as white as you get. Like, you could be, it's like, it's like Nazi and then Abercrombie and Fitzmaier. You know what I mean? What's that? You're German? And he goes, that works, I'm German. No, my friend, don't be that jovial about it. Oh, that works, I'm German. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, that's cool that you were. I think that I respect that you were an Abercrombie model. That's cool. All these girls are just like sliding out of their chairs. Okay. I guess I, what I'm saying is their pussies are getting moister. <laughs> their pussies are, are moistening up. Is what I'm saying. They're 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 secreting. Is what I felt like you guys didn't all know what I meant. What I'm saying is that they're sliding out of their chairs because there's a little like there's a okay like sometimes when you're driving okay you know like you'll be driving and then on a night like tonight it'll start raining right and you'll be driving along and you're happily driving and you're just like shit got real at the club and uh, you're just driving along and then the rain starts there's an area of rain and then your car you go, whoa, that's, that's what I'm saying. All of the little tires of their butts are now and, the, and the, the traction control light of their clitoris is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Right? You know, but then that's, that, that sensation is then traveling up their nerve system, nervous system into their brain and then it's like, ah, John 316. Ah, what do I do? Ah. And then they're trying to make it go back down and then, and then it just makes more and then that back of, ah, what is that Jesus going to think? Oh, I got to get married quickly. Ah, ah. And then you know what I'm saying? All of that kind of, all of that energy, that sexual energy then creates a little ball that then sort of, it, it floats off into a psychic ball, floats off into the world and kind of elongates. And then I throw, I grab the ball because I've been, had my eyes on them the whole time. <laughs> sir, sir, don't talk through this. Don't talk through this. This is going to be the best thing you've ever seen in your life. Okay. So I grab that little ball and I, and I take that psychic sexual energy ball and I, and I just fucking toss that ball as fast as I can. Shut the fuck up. And I toss that ball as fast as I can. And then I, I just hope to God somebody will catch it. To, to, and, then, and then, bam, there's a wide receiver who just... All the way down. And then she's on the sidelines cheerleading. She's like, go team, go team, go team, which is go team in sign language, as you might have been able to guess. And then at the end, he grabs it, and he spikes the ball. Bah! And the ball explodes. And then just the, what it just sort of shoots up into the air. And then it's Jesus. But it's not Jesus. It's a... It's Jesus with even better abs. It's, it's a German Abercrombie and Fitch model. <laughs> the, the field goal. And he says, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Nobody gets a touchdown but by me. <laughs> so something like that. I think that's what I was trying to get at. You guys have been fantastic. Have a wonderful night. Good night. Oh, I love that clip. Why'd you pick it? Uh, because I just love that he took every part of the crowd work that he did. And a lot of times what happens with a lot of crowd work when you do a callback with crowd work is kind of like what we were talking about before where you're just like you do a bit and then maybe 
just like a guy's name or a girl's name is mentioned within that bit. It's like, ah, it's just like you, Brandon, blah, 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 blah. Um, But I like that he just continued to do crowd work until he like wrote a weird bit that probably wouldn't be. I don't think that's a very good bit. Like if he just keeps doing it every night. But that's a really fun, on-the-fly, absurdist bit. And he used all the information he had just done to create this, like, like surreal, weirdo, uh, like, visual bit that in, uh, I just think it's fantastic. I but I don't even know. I don't even know what happened. That's how impressive yeah. that is to me. Yeah, it's funny because, like, I know you said that he couldn't do it every night, but he yeah. could because the information he's getting from each audience member is going to be different. Oh, I mean that night. certain the orb coming out of the like catches by a wide receiver. I'm saying like it, what he just said at the end, which involved him talking to none oh, of them. Yeah, hard but, to turn it into material. Yeah, yeah, right, right. But it was so great for that night. He could do that same thing for other people oh, yeah. on other nights. But I'm saying that specific. Bit. And it yeah. became the whole thing became a giant in joke for the audience, right? And it's um he, like those people that he did crowd work on are definitely talking to him after the show. Oh yeah, like that's uh, yeah. you guys know this. Like when you do comedy after shows, if you have any type of interaction with an audience member, they are going to sit you down for fifteen minutes and tell you about how. <laughs> They love yeah. comedy and how they can't wait to follow you and, mm-hmm. and can I buy you a drink? It just becomes this thing that like they we're friends now. They think that we're friends. Yeah. So that's a that's a brilliant way to close out a show. It is really cool. Yeah, he's gonna sell a lot of merch after this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love merch. Does most even have to anymore. Yeah. I know. Oh god, no. It just sells a book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and this is a very specific kind of callback. Yeah, his retention is insane. If you've ever heard him talk about comedy, he doesn't write anything down. Right. No, he's he has hours crazy, out. He's got a, he's got a crazy memory. It's insane. He's completely sober too. He apparently he was like an alcoholic, and I think that has something to do with it. He's very well studied. He like knows he he's a I, I he consumes a lot of information. He's naturally smart, and he's completely clean of any drugs and alcohol, which I think keeps him as sharp as he possibly could be. So like, I mean. I could see that being a part of why he can do things like that. That is with such a successful, cause there's a lot of clips online of him doing similar things and they're all incredible and they're all like somewhat like that. So it's your just, theory is if you sobriety. quit all drugs and alcohol, you would be like, this. I'm almost there. <laughs> I'm almost the there. Casher sobriety. Program. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on, yeah. Casher in the right. <laughs> That's, some, that's actually his book. I didn't oh, pun it. I didn't pun it. Like there that. is something very true to that, though. I feel like most comics who excel, like the ones who are exceptional at it, are addicts to comedy. Like mm-hmm. comedy is their the drug. Yeah. So like, if you're an addictive personality yeah. and you happen to do stand up, if you can make stand up that thing that you're compulsive about, then you're going to excel or or you're going to grow exponentially in the sport of stand up. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I just quit smoking cigarettes like three weeks ago. Yeah. And it's like the new thing is when I have an urge to smoke a cigarette, I just write a joke. It doesn't matter how shitty it is. I'm just like, write a fucking joke or like memo it or something. The trick is to condition yourself into making that the thing that you do. But I find that people, because I have an addictive personality, I, it's not something that You're I... You're addicted to being handsome. <laughs> can't turn it off. <laughs> but it's something that we all have our vices. We all have things I, that I we can do. I say everybody has an addictive personality. It's yeah. part of being human. We all have a reward mechanism. We all like it. But it's sometimes it's tricky to make 
your work that thing that you're addicted to. Uh, and if it if it doesn't come naturally, it's really really hard to recondition yourself to do something like comedy. For a while, I used to look at comedy as work, and it's really really difficult to get motivated to go to work. So if you could look at it as something anything else, like oh, I get to do comedy today. If you can get yourself excited about it and become addicted to that feeling, then it's easy to like find yourself in a world where you can write for four hours and it feels great. I read the War of Art. Um, great and book. He talks That's a great it. book. Yeah, he, he talks book, yeah. about it in terms of work and resistance. And I got a lot out of that of, yeah. of treating it like this is my fucking job. Period. End of story. Um, and I'm going to show up for work every day. Yeah. But on the other hand, I see what you're saying, where you go, okay, and maybe that maybe the way to marry those those two perspectives is that if you can make work the intrinsic reward, right, as opposed to work is something I do so I can get a reward at the end. For some people, it might not be as something where you have to recondition yourself if you have a healthy work relationship. Like mm-hmm. some people aren't fearful of work. Some people don't hate doing work. Yeah. So if that's your situation, then it's not an issue where you have to trick yourself into doing something that you're already passionate about. I'm I'm one of those comedians, those those stereotypical the stereotype of the comedian that uh has trouble holding on to a job. I've had a job for a while now, but like I've had trouble holding on to jobs. But do you think you're going to get fired because we're late now, right? Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, fired. this is really yeah. fucking me up. <laughs> but uh there's something to the idea of like well, I've always thought of comedy as my work. And I'm like, no, no, this like waiting tables, dog walking. This is like, this is just a thing I do. This is like a time passer. And then the money just comes up. Like, like, I feel like I can't turn my brain off of that idea. Like, I'm like, yes, I'll wait tables. I won't fuck this up for you, manager. But just know I don't care, like, in general. Like, I, f- I feel that in my body that I'm like, they should get another person. I need a job to support the work I want to do. But like, I, I, it is strange. Can I, can I piggyback off of what Harrison said? Yeah. What what do you have to say? When, um, so I was bartending for years and trying to do stand up, and I had to make a decision. Right. And I was thinking about quitting. The reason I was thinking about quitting stand up is because Towards the end of like my tenure bartending, it was getting really difficult for me to hold a job. And it was getting difficult because I was caring more about stand-up. And me caring more about stand-up made it more visible to my employers that I was caring less about those jobs. So for I went through like a 12-month period where I went through like four or five jobs. I just couldn't hold I a job. I had that same thing. And at the end of that, I got JFL and I got a bunch of things happen because... I was putting all that energy into my standup. So I know it feels like a really bad space to be in, but I noticed that things always got really, really hard before they got a lot better. I know it's so cliche to say, but when it comes to something artistic and creative like standup, when you're getting a lot of resistance in standup, it's usually a good thing. It's usually a really, really good thing. What do you mean by that? If your focus is standup, right? And everything that you want to do, everything that you want to create is through standup. The more energy you put into it, the more other areas of your life are going to suffer, right? So your relationships oftentimes take a toll. Mm -hmm. Your day job will take a toll. Your sleep will take a toll. Your energy levels take a toll because you're putting so much into your standup. And your standup's going to grow, but other things might suffer. Mm -hmm. It's important for people to realize that 
the declines that they're seeing in the other parts of their lives are for a reason. I was getting so much better at stand-up. It was making it so much harder for me to keep my job because I was showing up late because I was doing spots. I was trying to leave early because I was trying to do spots. I was distracted at work because I was running material in my head. So all of these things come at a price. And if you're not looking at the growth that you're having in stand-up, it's easy to think that it's not worth it. It's easy to think that I'm just fucking up or whatever, or man, I, I just have a bit bad run of luck. I but like that. Everything, everything has a price. Everything has a everything price. Everything has a price, no matter what. It's, yeah. It, there's always something that is like, like, like drugs are a great example. Right. You sacrifice happiness later for uh, intense joy now or whatever. Like that's you, you, you borrow happiness from tomorrow is a great way to put it. Absolutely. So, with stand up you're because you get good at what you spend your time on right when you focus on on stand up it takes it can take as much time as you can give it and everything else in your life kind of atrophies almost like like if you're only working your bicep one bicep uh-huh. nothing else it's yeah. like, grows and it feels weird but you're like but but this bicep is all is what i care about the most <laughs> right yeah. but if it's a sacrifice that you're willing to make yes. Then you're fine with which you should be willing to make because this is a throw it all away yeah. profession. Yeah. But then you're fine with your abs getting soft. Yes. And no. you're fine no. with your girl being you upset at you. Yeah. yeah. And and no, I like that you called it resistance. That's yeah. Also, Stephen Pressfield's War of Art. That resistance shows up anytime you try to do something big. Absolutely. And it shows up in the ter- in terms of loved ones asking you to not do it or try to get in the way of it. It shows up in sh- things falling apart and you're job or whatever that's that's a form of resistance absolutely i will i will be honest too uh even though it's a terrible health hazard and i'm so glad i'm done smoking for health reasons a big part of it was finances i was like well if i'm gonna take more hours off of work then i'll have less money Mm -hmm. so i'll have less and i'll have more money so that will even out so i'll just quit smoking cigarettes i'll quit smoking (laughs) weed i will i will be able to say i will be able to do stand-up and i won't need as much money to live that's that addict reasoning it's like all right well if i stop smoking crack (laughs) (laughs) but it worked i mean i stopped smoking weed and cigarettes yeah and i and i'm and hours are uh, a little bit softer than they used to be and i'm getting more sets in yeah um which is great because i feel my stand-up getting better but i'm also like god damn i just quit things like quit things that were killing me yeah but so i could do stand-up not because they were killing me People. it was kill it was killing me not to be a successful comedian <laughs> or it kills me that i'm not and i and i need to like get myself healthy which is a successful comedian yeah <laughs> just live off comedy yeah. that's yeah all right. Yeah, I I don't I don't think it matters why. Smoke cigarettes <laughs> unless they get in the way of stand up <laughs> is my message. Come on. Let's talk about sex. Make sure to check out Leclerc's podcast Effing Up with yeah. co-host Khalid Rahman, right? Yep. Yeah. What do you, what's that about? Oh, Effing Up is uh the second best podcast after Let's Talk About Sex. <laughs> Damn, you know the um, things to say. Uh, <laughs> you guys should definitely listen listen to it. It's all about manners, etiquette, and how we can all do better. We talk about fun stuff. Uh we try to make the world a better place by joking about how terrible people's behavior is. Uh and we uh we have we try to get different voices in on the podcast. Most of our guests are ladies because we're two guys talking about manners. manners and <laughs> we realize that men are oftentimes not the voice of reason when it comes to manners. So um, it's a fun time. It's a good listen. And you guys should check I, it out. I'm glad you found a way to curse 
at, in the title without actually cursing. We got Jimmy Fallon to say it. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I remember. I plugged yeah, he plugs it. it. Yeah, he was like, check out F and Up. It's like, he said it. Yeah, it's so awesome. <laughs> That's great. And they can find that on all the platforms, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. And then also, Leclerc's going to be on, as he mentioned earlier, NBC's Bring the Funny on August 30th. Yeah, it's going to be a, a whole thing. I don't know. But yeah. yeah, check it out. I'll be telling some jokes. It'll be fun. What do you mean? Whole thing. It's uh, you know how competition shows are. <laughs> the only people who like them are the people who win them and the judges. So yeah. 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 Uh, all right. So uh, you can follow our guest on Instagram. His handle is Leclerc Andre. And of course, the links to all of this will be in the show notes. His Twitter is I am Leclerc. Facebook, I am Leclerc, and then his website is leclercandre.com. And do you have your shows up there? Uh, no, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> so you do you can... tweet them out and stuff? No, just follow me on Instagram. I'll post them up on Instagram. Okay, so for if sure. they want to know where you're performing, go to your Instagram. Absolutely. Watch your story yeah. specifically, probably. Yeah. yeah. If you want to cool. find out more about our guest, head over to letstalkaboutsets.com and check out those show notes. I spent a lot of time writing them. Also, you can find out more about other episodes. They're all organized there by the themes that we talk about, also the comedians that we play on the show. And you can also get our episodes automatically by subscribing using whatever app that you ordinarily would use. I mean, you hopefully you, you've already done that. So, And special thanks, of course, to our intern, Mona Ahmed. She is so awesome, has been helping me compile things and handle logistics. And she's just amazing and so fun to work with. And then, of course, more special thanks to Moshe Kasher. And who else do we play? Oh, the, Patrice, uh, Patrice O'Neill. O'Neil. Yeah. The late. Sorry, you're, sorry, you're Special dead. Special thanks to Patrice yeah. O'Neill's estate. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, lastly, and certainly most importantly, uh, Salt and Pepper for helping me write this parody. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. 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 Incredible.